coaching is super deep mindset, shifting, making hard, hard changes. And I always say, you know, it's change isn't hard. It's human behavior that's hard to change. Let's go. I'm very excited about this. So uh, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, Gabriel Jean, he's a pretty cool business coach. He's been helping clients um, just really develop and grow their business and figure out how to step into their full potential, uh, both as, uh, as, as entrepreneurs, as business leaders, uh, but also as, uh, as a person. And I know a lot of people that are being coached by Gabriel personally, and they have nothing but incredible things to say about him. And then I've known Gabriel now, I, how long? I don't know. feels like years. feels like forever. Um, but I've known you in a business, um, from a business sense for at least a couple of years, I want to say. And I've had, I've been nothing but impressed. Every time I've heard you speak at an event or, uh, or you've come into a mastermind or, uh, you just, you've shared such gold and you have a very, uh, good way of communicating. And I think anyways, this is a treat. Whoever's listening, we're going to dive into it. And, uh, yeah, without further ado, Gabriel, why don't you introduce a little bit about yourself and, uh, we'll go from there. Sure. Thank you. Uh, well, I guess I've uh, been coaching for, I say professionally since 2010, but that's when I started coaching for a coaching firm that's globally known. Um, before that, I was training, mentoring and coaching, but more like privately for uh, one one specific company, a real estate brokerage. So it kind of turned into from doing it for a few people within the office to going nationally and then eventually globally. Uh, so that's basically my my entire career revolves around coaching in one way or another. Uh, so I, I love doing it, and I just keep moving forward with it. But you you weren't always a coach. So uh, what were you doing? Uh, like what what did your path look like uh, towards where you are now? Uh, well, I mean, growing up, pretty average person. You know, I I didn't. Um, I didn't have anything major going on. I didn't, uh, I didn't go to college. I just, it wasn't, that was not a conversation in my head or in, you know, around the people around me or whatever. Um, so I just kind of went right into the workforce and um, started, re- I just had kind of ran, like my first job was uh, fl- delivering flowers for uh, one of the big um, florists in the, in the United States. It's nationwide. Which, you know, I was like 16 or 17 or 18, I don't remember. Uh, And then just kind of random jobs. I feel like my adult life in career started around like 21 years old. And then I got into real estate around 20, at 22 years old. And from there, that's really where I feel like I started to grow up and mature and learn business from an entrepreneur standpoint. So that's, that's kind of, uh, I started in real estate gravitated towards more of like training coaching mentoring people Uh, and just little by little I got more involved in the training coaching managing offices recruiting uh, you know even doing license training and uh, eventually just full-time coaching yeah and what was that for you so you started in, in in florist delivery that's cool um, I got a funny story about that. Actually, I, I ordered from a uh, online florist yeah. uh, last year for Valentine's Day. 
I was thinking, oh, great, let's let's try this out. This will be great. I actually heard some really positive reviews. I think it was from uh, Dragon's Den. Uh, that's mm-hmm. where I heard of the company. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll give it a try. Yeah. And uh, the, or, or maybe it was a similar company. I can't remember. It was maybe the same one. So I'm not going to uh, throw that one under the bus. But the um, <laughs> <laughs> Valentine's Day came and went, and it had guaranteed delivery dates. And so I was like, where is this delivery? It showed up the next day, uh, the day after Valentine's. And I just thought that was so funny. I'm like, wow. you can't get more wrong than that. Yeah. <laughs> That's false <Yeah>. advertisement. <laughs> that is. Well, I, I'm assuming they probably got so many orders. And oh, yeah. the delivery nightmares of trying to make things work on the same day yeah. um, would have been probably crazy. But then the flowers arrived wilted and it was bad. Oh man, that's one thing I won't do on like holidays, especially like Valentine's Day is delivery stuff and go out to a restaurant. Like I won't do it. I'm not going to do it. Not on Valentine's Day or holidays. Uh uh-uh. That's it's no, just a rule I just stick to. <laughs> it's smart. I've learned my lesson now. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's smart. I've, I've done. Um, yeah, but we'll dive into that stuff later. But uh, so for you, uh, getting started into uh, that coaching was there a moment for you when you were going through your career pathway where you thought okay this is it this is this is something I think I can see myself doing more of uh, when was that and if it happened I feel I feel like that happened to me during my time working at uh, I worked at the Mike Ferry organization which is a huge I mean most realtors know who that is uh, so about seven years into my real estate career my broker at the time he said Hey, you know, Mike Ferry's hiring coaches. I say, I, I didn't think much of it. I was like, oh, cool. Good for him. And he says, no, I, I think you should apply because nobody knows his system better than you do, as far as I know. So I did. And it was a, a very long, lengthy, very deep uh, interview process. You know, it took like six months. I flew out there like twice to their headquarters in Las Vegas. Eventually got hired. But during that time there that I was there with Mike, I think that's when it didn't click for me. I think it, over time, I, I started to, I remember thinking like, wow, everything I've done up until this point is now being um, just kind of like put together in my mind. I was kind of like full of knowledge or experience. But when I went there, it really, I, I got like a, this structure in my mind where I was like, okay. I, that's where I got the confidence where I can coach anybody, anybody. It doesn't matter if they're incredibly successful or not or whatever. I think coaching just has more to do with being a great coach and knowing how to coach people, the interaction, um, and, and of course the experience. So what I brought to the table to that organization, it was valuable in the sense that everything I learned from them just put me in a in a position of more confidence uh no knowing what to do with what i know other than just knowing it right and so that was i think that's when it happened was during time which was about 2010 or 11 okay so you've said a couple things there which are interesting so let's dive into first that that moment that epiphany where you said it it gave you the ability to structure it in your mind Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, you could you could know a lot of things. I'm sure you all know 
people that have like full of random facts, right? You bring up any topic and they just spit out all kinds of information. You know, if you know that much about something and you're not consulting, then you don't know what to do with it. If, if you know so much about real estate, but you're not doing anything with it, then you don't know how to, you know, you don't know what to do with it. It's, I feel like knowing something and learning it and information, it's all good. It's amazing. But if you don't know what to do with it, it's, you're, you're just, just going to sit there. It's like, it's like having a Ferrari in storage. I mean, that makes sense. Like the, well, the definition of wisdom is knowing how to apply knowledge. So a plumber is wise at plumbing because they know they can look at a wrench, they can look at um, PVC piping and they know how to, you know, combine the two to make water flow in the right direction. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's, but it's, that's, that's literally the definition of wisdom. And so, but what you're saying there within that, that structured um, cognition, it, I think I've had the same experience where you sometimes you'll I'll go to events and or I'll be working on a problem and it's it's like I'll I'll know all the uh, the information like you're describing, mm-hmm. but then there's a moment where it just seems to click, yeah. and it's almost like there's a visual roadmap in my mind, and I know that if I do this this and this and this I will be going in that direction, and. It is the most wonderful um, thing when the brain does that because all of a sudden effort, it, you, you can tell that the effort that you're doing or you're about to doing is about is going to have direct impact. And uh, so that's why I wanted to, to click on that too. So because the word structured as well um, is interesting. So in that, when you were talking about, uh, so, you're, so you're at the mic ferry, what, what was that like? Did they... Um, were they teaching you how to coach? Were you practicing with other people? What was it that was differentiated? Because you had been working closely with people before this. And I know this, because we've, we've talked about this in the past, uh, yeah. in your own team, uh, where, where you have been working closely and just kind of helping people progress. What was it different about Mike Ferry? I, th- I think, uh, well, you know, the first month there, it was just shadowing. I literally was just plugging in to other coaches that have already been there and listening and taking notes. And that's it for one month, just listening. And then I would uh, have my own coaching session with the vice president of of coaching at the time where we would discuss everything that I'm listening to, all my notes, asking questions, you know? And um, so for one month, all I did was listen, take notes, observe, um, you know, kind of like, also observe myself during the calls, you know, uh, just like what's going on in my mind while I'm listening to a coach and a client as a third party, just quietly. It's a whole different experience. Yeah. And when you, uh, and when you're in that, well, leaving, leaving that program, what was your next step? What did you do after that? I went independent for a little while after that. I I just kind of started approaching brokerages and, uh, you know, just exactly what any business would do. Start prospecting, start um, talking to people, presenting myself. Uh, I ended up working with a few brokerages, even uh, one of the biggest uh, schools in Las Vegas, because I had to move there to work with them. So I ended up coaching for a school. He was a broker. His name's Teddy Federwitz. He was awesome. 
he had a big brokerage in Vegas and he had um, a school, a licensing school. It was called Key Real Estate School. And then Key Real Estate was the brokerage. So I hit him up. He was a little skeptical. He's like, who are you? I never heard of you kind of thing, you know. And uh, after talking with him for a while, he's like, I'll tell you what, I'm going to create a class for everybody who gets the license with me and my agents and you're going to run it. And that's what I did. And that was like my first after deciding that I'm going to be a professional business coach. That was like my first major, I think, like on my own, totally up to me. He didn't want it. He he didn't want to uh, put any time into like creating it or structuring it or, or nothing. He's like, it's up to you. There's the classroom. It was literally in the classroom. This is like, you know, 2012 or something. But um, yeah, it was good times, man. Good times to, to kind of flex, you know, everything I've learned for the past, you know, I think at, at that point I was already coaching. Tra- I really started mentoring, training people on a small scale, like 2004. That's when I was literally taking on new people, people that were newer than me, even though I was pretty new in the business, I was about two years in, but I had advanced so much, I think, because I was learning so much, I was in a coaching program myself, and everything I was learning, I was just repeating to people over and over, all day, every day, so I think that's why I progressed so quickly, and the skills needed to be an effective coach, right, so going to that with Key Realty School, it was like, okay, game time, you know, you, you're you're on your own now. Now it's up to you. These people are showing up for you to lead them, guide them. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a cool experience too. Huh. That sounds really interesting. The, um, what an opportunity too, eh? To be given so much, uh, space to, to really lead something right off the get go. Like, yeah, that. yeah, it was cool. I, I, I felt, um, just really, really good about it you know it's going into this realty school and you have a classroom you know i had like this classroom to myself it was like being a teacher kind of so it was pretty cool and then when you're when you're working with someone let's say they're um you know, they have some goals or, or or an objective that they're trying to work towards what's the things that you would categorize as being sort of the essentials to focus on uh in in your business um essentials to focus on when like for a newer person that's just starting out kind of thing it could be a newer person starting out it could be somebody who's been doing it for a while yeah is there are there is there a like a framework that you use that you sort of look and go through and say okay these these are the the key points that i'd want to touch on in in business maybe ask questions around them yeah, I do. I do have like 22, 20, about 20, 21 topics that I revolve around. And that's, it's not just real estate, it's just business in general. Um, so I start by just having a conversation. Usually my first session with people is really getting to know them, getting to know their business, because it's not so much that I want to know what, what they're going to tell me. I want to know how they see themselves and their business. You know, it's, it's a, uh, a simple example is like many people right now think, oh, this is a crazy market. Things are slow and whatever. And other people are like, oh, my God, there's so many houses for sale. I need to go find a buyer, you know, and that that's that's the first thing I need to do is dive in and understand how they what their thought process is, because I can just start talking and they are not even 
like retaining any of it because they're the way they think is not at all how I'm delivering it. So I guess like, so for those listening or watching the, the point here is like personality styles. So I don't teach them personality styles. I use the ability of knowing personality styles right up front to identify who they are and go deep with that. Because once you learn how somebody learns, it's a lot easier to teach them or just to communicate and get effective uh, conversation and, and um, productive conversation. Okay, that's super interesting. So I thought you were going to say something about aligning the mindset, but you're starting first with the personality styles, which makes a lot of sense because you want to be able to communicate in a way that is um, that uh, the information process that they're getting is aligning with with the way that they, as you said, they learn or they think and they process that. So yeah. what do you use the DISC model? Which Which model do you use or do you apply a few? Yeah, there's two. Um, DISC is one of them. I think that's the more, I guess, popular or well-known. Um, before that, I was using, I forgot the name of it, but they don't, they don't call it DISC. They call it, they call it a driver, uh, amiable person, an expressive, and an analytical, which is basically almost the exact same thing as DISC, just different wording. Um, but for the most part, it's very, very similar. So transitioning to DISC, it was pretty simple for me. And it's almost, when I talk to people about it, it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. And so for those who don't know, uh, DISC is essentially those four categories that you described, but they're a little bit, uh, they're communicated differently. And it's a really interesting profile because it takes a look at um, the the brain actually from from two two spectrums it it takes a look at okay what is what's the way in which you communicate um in the sense are you a direct communicator are you an analytical communicator do you need time to process the information but it also looks at um one's temperament so are you a calm temperament or are you a anxious temperament and those things will directly influence how dominant uh, your expressive or your your driver traits are in um, uh, in in how you you communicate, especially when you're in a stressful environment, like a work stressful environment or a stressful home environment, and they will translate very differently depending if you're in a place where you're you're you know solely responsible for the outcome or you're working within a team dynamic. So it's it's a very fascinating um, it's a very very fascinating profile test because it's it's communicating a lot about um who we are and we can learn from it too because we can say okay well actually my natural style is expressing itself differently than than um than it should be like so so what i mean by that is that you might have a natural style but it's actually you're not operating in the way that you, you naturally are and if you can go to your natural style you'll find yourself communicating and performing a lot better mm-hmm. and uh and that can be challenging sometimes, depending on the environment. So that is the quick, quick high-level view of, of the DISC profile. But if you understand it from a uh, communicator's perspective, uh, which is really helpful if you're working with clients, because then you can figure out, okay, does this person need more listings <laughs> to make the decision? Or do they need more action? 
do they need to do they need to look at homes directly or do they need time and space to think about it for a couple of days yeah well you know something i was thinking about as you're talking is uh, i was coaching somebody a uh, very familiar person everybody in street text knows this person i don't want to drop names but this person before they came to my coaching program which was you know uh, probably about a year ago now they believed they were a driver personality because they were very high energy, like, yeah, 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 just very high energy, smart, sharp, you know, uh, killing it in the business. At that time, when they came to my coaching, they were already doing well. They thought they were a driver at that time. After a while, I, I pointed out to them that they're uh, like a high uh, uh, I and C. And they're like, oh, no, no, I'm a driver, I'm a driver. I was like, no, I'm pretty sure, you know, and they looked, they actually went back and found an assessment they did. They messaged me and she's like, you're right. I am a high C, I C, right? I C. She's like, oh my God, I'm so confused right now. I, I feel like my identity has been false this whole time and it really screws with you, you know? But the great thing is that she was like, she embraced it. And from that moment forward, started operating as an IC. Now, knowing that, she really started to use her her strengths more. And just all kinds of clarity just came to her. And it just really helped her to, to remember that she's an IC. I think, you know, there's a dominant and a under pressure Um and I feel I feel like maybe under pressure she could be a high D. When the going gets tough, she gets going, but naturally she's not. And if you could operate in under your natural style more often, you're going to not only be more successful, but it's going to be so effortless. You're just gonna just gonna roll out, you know. So that was one way that personality styles, um, you know, one way that I can remember it helped myself and somebody. It's like. If you tell me you're a D and I'm trying to coach you as a D, you're going to overthink stuff and it's, it's going to confuse me. I'm going to be like, why are you stuck? Why are you stuck? Why are you overthinking? Why are you overthinking? And then if, if we find out you're a high C, then it's like, oh, well, duh, that makes sense. And it just Oh, shifts. it makes so much sense. I, so I have a, you've shifted totally. So if, um, if you find yourself overthinking things, it may be that you're a high C or in, in some cases you might be in a stressful circumstance where you're looking for, um, you know, added control that you normally wouldn't be the, uh, I have a friend, she's amazing and she's a high D like the, um, but because she's such a high D she will take on whatever is required. So there was a time where she was working in a, um, a community, a volunteer community, and she was leading this large program. And everybody was saying to her, like, wow, you're such a high eye. And I, if you look at her personality profile, is the lowest. Mm. But it was literally she would embody what she needed because yeah. that's what the role required. And yeah. if, if she knows that, but she's a high D, she can actually find a way more uh, fulfilling role somewhere else where she can work in the areas that she's naturally strong, like very strong at. And I just find that, that kind of thing very interesting. So it, it is, it is very enlightening. So that's where you start. So you start with the sort of the profile and you're also starting with the, um, it sounded like 
uh, almost like the filter that we carry within us um, around how are we viewing the, uh, the, the challenges or the opportunities in the marketplace today. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a very useful tool. I mean, it's, I, I know people know about it and they kind of throw it around, but I, as far as like my clients, I tell them they really need to learn it. Like it's not a suggestion. That's part of your homework. You know, it's part of this program is that, you know, not only your own personality style and how you operate, uh, but how to identify the personality styles and that, you know, I've taken it steps further in learning other personality styles and learning um, like attachment styles, you know, and more people know it as uh, in a romantic sense, like in a boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, marriage kind of a, but, you know, like having an, an anxious attachment style, for example, if you have an anxious attachment style and that's how you, you are with your spouse, that's probably how you are with your, with your leads, with your customers you know, a very anxious attachment style. You always think they're going to leave you. You always think it's going to, you're going to sabotage this relationship. Like it's, it's funny how, how we treat one person, let's say our spouse is probably how we treat everybody. And at some level, you know, so just, if you're in a people business, you should probably get to know people. And by that, I mean, human behavior, psychology, uh, you know, personality styles is personality styles. I think, is the beginning of it. You know, I went down a path of so far that to, to, I don't want to say master, but like I've gotten extremely familiar with mental health, just like, like uh, narcissism, you know, like uh, just those personality disorders, uh, like anxiety, like OCD, like um, because knowing that stuff and being able to see it, even though I'm not a professional I'm not a healthcare worker, whatever. But if I know, if I can understand and identify that somebody has OCD, like they actually have OCD tendencies, maybe not not diagnosed, but they definitely operate with an OCD tendencies. It's it, it helps me a ton to to coach them because I know that if they're if they don't do something right or the way I told them or whatever. They're going to freak out. They're going to avoid the calls. They're going to stress out. They're going to, they're not going to want to do it. They're going to cancel coaching. Like, oh, it's not for me. It's not for me. And when really it, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be perfect, you know, like for that person. So that's, you know, along the lines of what I'm talking about, what's the first thing is like, is really getting to know who I'm talking to, like really getting to know them, you know, so, so that they can hear me when I talk. That. This is interesting. Now, attachment styles is brand new to me. I've, I've never heard that before. Uh, I would, I'd like to know more. And then also, it does make sense understanding um, concepts of mental health. Because, uh, yeah, I could see that being incredibly beneficial. So now, if if you... Well, okay, let's take a second. Maybe you could explain a little bit more attachment styles. Just because it's brand new to me. Just give me a high level. Uh, yeah, like... Uh, there's four different ones. I, I'll try to remember. Like, there's a secure attachment style. That that's the best one. That's the one everybody should strive for. It's you're secure, you're healthy, your emotions are healthy. You you can see your relationship for what it is, not for what you're thinking or feeling. And you know, it's not perfect, but you always deal with it well. 
just because because of your secure attachment to it, your healthy attachment to it. Then there's anxious attachment where it's like you're just anxious about things. Like if somebody doesn't text you back, you feel like they forgot about you. They're avoiding you. Oh, no, they're going to break up with me. And like I said, this could be in business, too. You know, if you got a hot lead and you talked to them yesterday and now they ghosted you the next day, some agents freak out. They're like, oh, my God, I thought I had a listing, but I don't. And next thing you know, you find out like, oh, they were busy. They were in the hospital. Something happened, you know, like whatever. They didn't have power. I don't know. But an anxious attachment style person would freak out during that day. And and hopefully they don't do anything about it, like send messages and say, hey, you know, I, I don't know what I did, but, you know, you shouldn't ghost me, you know, whatever. People do that. Instead, knowing you're an anxious attachment style and you start to freak out, you kind of start to go, okay, well, feelings are not facts. So I don't know that they're ghosting me. Let me wait until I know what happened and then deal with it. And let's say you never talk to them again. When you have healthy emotions and you understand that those feelings are because you're anxious attachment, you go, okay, like it is what it is. You know, um, never heard from them again, but that's okay. I have street text, so I have a bunch more leads that I can go talk to. So there's secure and there's anxious attachment. There's fearful avoidant, um, you know, and that, that, um, without getting too much into it, it's exactly what the name says, right? It's people fear something, so they just avoid it. it it's the people that say, oh, you know what? Um, this person likes me, but I don't think it's going to work, so I'm just not going to try, right? It's like in business, realtors look at a FISBO and they go, uh, FISBOs are a pain in the butt, and I don't even know what to say, and uh, I'll just I'll just stick to my cold calling. You know, when in reality, it's like that person might like you a lot and trust you and they might even be ready to list, but you'll never know because you feared, avoided and moved on. Mm -hmm. So there's anxious, secure, fearful, avoidant. And there's I think there's one more and there's different spectrums, um, but those are like the main ones. I don't remember exactly the other one, but, you know, if you look it up there they're they're pretty simple it's kind of like a disc a disc assessment but for attachment um that's fascinating i i find that really interesting because i can see that being really beneficial for somebody especially in a work environment if you can see that it could probably like help a person understand oh wait so it's like getting a 365 analysis or 360 analysis not three uh where you're like oh i didn't even know i did that but I can see how that has probably lost maybe 20% of my conversions. Or I could see how that could come across in this way when I'm communicating with a team in a team dynamic. So this, that is really, really interesting. I would love to, I'm going to look into that one. That one's fascinating. The fourth one is dismissive avoidance and isolation, ambiguity, uh, ambivalence, emotionally distant, you know? So if you see somebody that's emotionally distant, let's say, in, per, in your personal life or in business. At somebody that's emotionally distant, when you meet them, what do you think? Like, oh, they're stuck up or, oh, that's they're not serious, you know, or whatever. Whatever, like our mind just fills in the blank. Like we're psychic. Yeah, they ha- maybe, maybe you think they haven't bought in. They're like, okay, well, they're, yes. Yeah, I'm not yeah. gonna spend my time with that individual because they haven't committed. Because yeah. they're not enthusiastic like I am. Yeah. You know, so imagine how many leads you have that, that 
they're just not emotionally there. They're not, they're distant emotionally. And if you're an expressive, um, expressive or a high I personality agent, and these people are like, they're just, their attachment style is, um, what did I say? Um, dismissive. dismissive. Or let's say that they're a high C or an, an analytical. You guys are not, in your natural styles, you're not going to get along. So one of you needs to adjust, and it's not going to be them, for sure. Yeah, no, that that's fascinating. This, this brings me to another um, style, which is, helpful as well so some people are naturally um have you heard of the uh i, I forgot what the, they're called it's like cre- okay creative refiner advancer executor i i've heard those terms in that sense but i don't know much about it i've never dove into it okay so these these ones are kind of like your um your natural strengths within the um w- within uh, how you how you process ideas essentially, or how you come up with ideas. So the creator is that person who just seems to have like a hundred ideas every day. You might mm-hmm. be hanging out with them, and they're like, "Hey, let's go do this. Let's go do this. Let's go do this." They just come up with ideas. Boom, 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 boom. Maybe they're thinking, maybe they're the person on Twitter who's tweeted every idea they've had, and all those ideas are now in existence. You know, they just they just seem to come up with really uh, like so many ideas, but they're not necessarily refined ideas. They just are ideas. And then you have the refiner. The refiner is the person who is really good at uh, thinking through the problems of ideas. They uh, they will look at things and and uh, they can't help it. Sometimes they put on that very uh, critical uh, perspective. And uh, then you have the person who is the advancer. The advancer is is like the Steve Jobs. So the advancer is that person who sees brilliant ideas for what they are. They can get past the refiner's resistance. And they're, they look at something like, oh, man, if I bring this to market, I can see the impact this will have. Or if I, if, I, you know, if I can help this person do this, they will unlock their potential because maybe they're a brilliant artist, but their whole family is the refiners. And their fi- family saying, no, get a secure job, go get a law degree, do this stuff. And mm-hmm. literally they're dying inside. but the advancer comes along and says no i see exactly what you're doing actually you are brilliant you need to continue pursuing this and then the uh, executor are those individuals who are just high at getting things done they are they love uh piecemeal work they love stuff where it's just like uh job done job done job done Just, just you know give me a task i will eat that up all day every day uh and just they live off that. And so if you know this, 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 the work style of somebody, whether they're a creative refiner, advanced or executed, and people have got combinations of all of the above, um, they, it really will help. So if you find somebody who's a high executor and you're really good at the uh, advancer side, that's a great combination because you can say, here's brilliant ideas and you can give it to them and then they will start to actually make it happen in reality. If you uh, combine yourself with a refiner, uh, that's a really good QA person, like quality control, quality assurance. So they can look at things and make sure that you're bringing it up. But where the, the friction can come out is if you have a high C, high refiner. So you have like a super analytical, detail-oriented individual mm-hmm. who is also very critical. And you put them beside a high I, idea, like visionary person. So expressive, um, bold words 
but doesn't have the analytical strength, that is not a healthy combination because the high I uh, is literally thriving off of ideas Mm -hmm. and the high C is thriving off of killing ideas. And so you see where that could become a very, very dangerous uh, dynamo. So if you can figure that out early, you can then, um, you, you can actually be skillful in how you, uh, you, you, you partner with people because you can say, okay, this person is very much in that dynamic. And so I'm going to find myself an advancer who can then balance out this high C refiner. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to partner with that advancer because yeah. there's going to be ideas that are going to be gold and I need to make sure they get across the line. And so and I, think, I think that's why a coach, an advancer mentality coach is yes. what people need. Because, regardless of what personality style you are. Because that's what I do basically is I, people come to me, they have ideas or they're drivers, like they're ready to go work. They're just like ignorance on fire, right? They're, I've been doing this all week, you know, eight hours a day. And I go, yeah, but, you know, or whatever. But it wasn't a good idea. <laughs> you did a good job. You worked a lot, but you probably shouldn't, you know, door knock vacant homes or whatever. But um, yeah, I see what you're saying. And that's that's all. It all comes down to what? people getting to know people human behavior um getting more and more familiar with just how people operate you know so uh, that's it's a very fascinating topic to me it, oh, yeah i think if you can layer those those three um those three profiles over over top of one another it gives you a very insightful way that can help you communicate a lot better to who it is that you're working with. Because if you're working with someone who is stuck on, and, and here's the, the the reality, the high C analytical refiner, what they're really after is security. And if you know that they're just looking for tried, true, proven, done. If you know that you can actually come to them as a high I by preparing a, uh, you know, by doing your work a little bit and, you know, the diligence and and just showing them, instead of showing them three properties in the same market, show them 10 properties in the same market. Give them a little bit more data and then show them case study after case study after case study of where you've seen the outcome that you believe is uh, inevitable based on the strategy you put in place. And that high C analytical refiner will be checking off every box and they'll be saying, yes, let's, let's execute this and make this possible. And so that's, that's where, uh, knowing the personality, but then if you find a high I client who's very expressive, that will literally kill the relationship. If you Mm -hmm. came in with that approach, Yeah, it will, you know, instead meet them where they're at. If they're super excited about, uh, the deal gets so excited about them. I am so happy for you. This is so fun. I can't believe we get to do this together because that is going to match them where they are, how they communicate. uh, And it's going to have such a positive impact in the overall relationship of that deal. Yeah. And and that's happening every single day, all day long with all of like street text clients, my clients, just people. It's a, and the crazy part is most people have no idea it's happening. And and they're uh, 
unnecessarily stressing out, you know, not knowing what to do, like just trying to figure things out, trying all these different just strategies and, and tactics and changing, pivoting. And it's like, you don't need to. You just need to know who you're talking to. That's it. Yeah. And, and now, okay, so let's say you're working with someone and they, they, they come to you and you realize, okay, uh, they're, they're saying things along this line. Uh, I'm really concerned about the future. It seems like uh, foreclosures are on the horizon. The, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking into the, uh, the reports and, and, and looking at what's happening with the news. And I'm just, uh, I just don't feel very, uh, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen in the future? How do you respond to that? I would, I would want to know, I always want to know is where they're getting their facts from. Like, where did you learn of this? Okay, is it a reliable source? Did you do the, num- the numbers yourself? Did you, is this macro or micro? Like, is this your market or is this nationally? Is this your office or is this the county that you're in, the region that you're in? You know, is this your team or is this the office, right? So it's like big scale, little scale, big scale, little scale, all the way right down to like, what are you doing though? Because our home's still selling? Yeah. Okay. What are you doing about it? What, like, how many have you sold? How many do you think are going to sell in the next quarter? You know, and how many of them do you want to sell? So you bring it back. So you're, you're bringing it back and you're basically giving perspective by broadening the, the lens mm-hmm. and saying, okay, you're looking at a specific type of situation you might have data that proves that that's um, you know potentially possible, but if you if you scale up a little bit, you might find that there's um, that's not the full story. Now, right. and then and then you're 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 bringing it back to the the outcome, the goal. Like, what are you working to achieve? You know, I I, I do I think about that too in the sense that I feel like uh, anybody who's growing as fast as the market is doing something wrong. <laughs> Technically, you're doing something really well, you know, because yeah. you're growing as fast as the market. That means you're you're there, you're 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 making stuff happen. But if you're growing as fast as the market, where's the extra that's coming from you? And uh, and so it's the same thing in a in a down market. Where's the extra that's coming from you? It, it, it doesn't really matter if the market's going down. You can still grow your business in that environment. Right. It just depends on. Um, are you is are you being strategic with the uh, the actions? I so always, I always tell agents like it doesn't matter what the market's doing. That has nothing to do with your business. Like it's it's very related, very closely related, directly related. But as far as your business, it doesn't matter what's happening over here, up, down, sideways. You know, there even in the worst markets, worst markets. There was a ton of homes sold still, you know, so redirecting. Yeah, that, that, I mean, and it's funny, I saw that stat um, recently and I thought it was interesting. The, maybe we just talked about this. I'm not sure, but um, another time, do you remember the, do you know the year where the most real estate uh, uh, sales were? Yeah, I think we did talk about it. It was like, I want to say like 5.1 million 
Um, and the worst, the slowest was like 4.9 million nationwide in the United States. And when people hear that, they go, oh, okay. <laughs> like, where was I? Like, well, you were watching the news. <laughs> That's where you were. Yeah, it's it's not a it's not a crazy crazy difference. No, and then, but what but also is really fascinating. If you look in the market, in the slowest market, the number of transactions per agent in that time was actually more than the number of transactions per agent on average in the busiest market. And the reason for that is because a lot of agents leave the business, right? And, and nobody so, misses and so, them. Yeah, so the ones who are treating it as a business, who Keep are going keep going and they guess what their their business grows exactly. and then they thrive when the market shifts because it always shifts like every couple of years it's shifting and then everybody and, else is asking i don't understand how they're doing more and and the market's so terrible but how are they selling more and they get so frustrated and i think it's just it's pretty crazy to watch from from the sidelines you know yeah no that that makes sense so Let's keep on this journey. So now let's say you've, you've, you've helped them. You understand their personality profile. You understand how they communicate. You've helped them see a picture that is, um, you know, realistic as far as what the opportunity really is for them. If they, if they apply themselves, what's next? Uh, I think creating a plan, like knowing step by step what they're going to be doing, like time management, their calendar, what's on it what activity, how they're going to do it, how are they going to track and measure it so that they know they're doing it and doing it well. Um, so the, the plan of action, you know, the steps, step-by-step, step, everything, and uh, the accountability. Like, okay, that's a great plan, but if you don't do it, then what? And who, who do we need to involve to make sure this gets done? That's a big one. Mm -hmm. That's a big one. And then how often do you meet with, with uh, your clients? Usually it's weekly, 30 minutes. That's perfect. So then you get a weekly check-in on accountability. Right, right. And I've tried everything. I've tried doing an hour session, 15-minute sessions, once a week, twice a week, like every day, you know. I've tried all kinds of different ways. And weekly, 30-minute is like perfect. The sweet spot. Yep. Yeah. I joke about I joke about this, but it's true. I've seen your calendar; it's very, very busy, very full, and uh, obviously, it's it's working. It's working very well. So, when you're, um, I'm just curious about this for yourself. What do you know? What your core values are? My core values are results, are proof, like tangible um, that that people. I guess when I coach somebody, I don't want them to feel good. You know, you've probably heard me say stuff like, you know, there's no hype over here. There's no, I'm not, I'm not here to motivate you and to get you all hyped up. That's not me. I'm not going to, you know, talk your ear off and be all excited on camera. That's just not me. It's my core value is you're my client. You're coming to me for a result and we're going to get it period. And it's going to be measurable. You're going to be able to hold it up and go, here's my result. Here's my goal. Here's what we did. And now this is what I have. Right. And that's, that's basically, uh, along the lines of my core values. Yeah. And 
That's interesting. It seems like one of the strengths you have is you said at the beginning of the call yourself, you went to that micro training and you came back and you felt like you had the structured um, understanding of what to do. And it seems that's something I've observed from you is that it doesn't take long, but when you have a conversation, you leave feeling much more clear about what matters and what's important. And it seems like it eliminates the clutter and you end up, if there's like an analogy, it's almost like the the room of the mind is now swept clean and it's like, there's a couple boxes and they're, they're neatly in order. Yeah. And I, I feel like I get that a lot from my clients. They're often, oftentimes I get a text or a message right away after the first session and I can sense the clarity. It's not hype. It's not like, oh my God, I'm so excited. You know, it's nothing like that. It's like, wow, that first session, I don't know what you did, but I am like calm, confident. I know exactly what to do. It's it's exactly what you're saying. It's removing the clutter, uh, having a plan, a vision, and, and, you know, not... I think sometimes we, we, in our attempt to declutter, we just put more clutter. You know, we, we I don't know. So, yeah, it's that's exactly what happens. And then that conversation allows the coaching to begin. Because if I don't have that conversation first, and if I don't know their personality style first, before that, coaching's never going to begin. It's going to be the same conversation week after week. Why didn't you do it? What's happening? Why are you stuck? You know, the same thing over and over. And It's funny. Sometimes it happens during coaching. It's where I got to go back. Let's go back to that first conversation and have it again. You know? It's kind of like when yeah. we have to go get a price reduction. It, 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 yeah, totally. It makes sense. Like so often you hear somebody and you hear what they want. They'll want something along the lines of, uh, I want to know the secret of what that guy's doing over there because I can tell he's crushing it. Maybe he's number one in my market or maybe she's like absolutely dominating and she's she's got something figured out. What's her secret? I want to mm-hmm. know her secret. And so there's a part of them that's thinking, okay, I want to, I want to, I want to be coached on the secret sauce because I know there's something I got to pay a little extra for it. And maybe yeah. I'll get the secret. And that, or, sorry. And that's when people come to coaching and they go, Hey, I want you to coach me to do this, 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 and this. And I go, okay, is that what you need though? <laughs> right? Like in my head. Uh, but to- it's- totally. Cause they've, they've got the solution already planned out in their mind. Yeah. And they, they just, they just know that the secret is that the grass is greener over there. And if they could just get to that field of grass, it'll be better. And, or they'll come into this um, and they'll think to themselves, a, you know, the, it's not that they are, um, they don't know what to do. They just need accountability. That's all it is. It's just, just, I need accountability. If I can just have accountability, then I'll be successful. I'll just be successful. And usually it's neither of those first two things. Usually what it is, is it's exactly what you're describing now, which is the person who really, like, it, it, it's, it's a mind set it's a it's a it's a way that they're viewing something and if they saw that the um the grass that they're standing on is actually very good and they can water it and that they can start to nurture it they will start to find that they're having the results that they're looking for in their life this um i was reading this this autobiography of this guy and it's it's a very 
fascinating autobiography. It's a, he he was born in um, uh, he was born in the Middle East, sort of uh, late or uh, early 1900s, and uh, his dad had painstakingly taken what was very dry, arid ground and had planted fig trees and had over the years nurtured them and watered them until they became established. And lo and behold, 20, 30 years later, it looks like this lush, beautiful, um, uh, beautiful uh, area. And so at some point or other, a foreign stronger army shows up and decides that they're going to occupy this, this place because it looks so green and fertile. But what they don't know the backstory is that the reason it looks so green and fertile is because this guy's dad has done so much work to create this new space. Long story short, they have to they're they're forcibly relocated to another area where um, literally it's just again you're back to bare bare ground. But that mentality of knowing that the grass is greener where you water it. It didn't necessarily, it didn't leave them. So it was devastating that they lost everything, but they started it again. And so they started by, you know, starting with a garden, cultivating, investing, and doing the same process. And it doesn't take long before you can turn a place that is, looks like dry and arid and it's back to green and, and prosperous. And I think that for anybody who's listening, uh, you know, something that I've observed Gabriel do very, very, very well is uh, help people frame things in a way that gives gives them a new perspective. And sometimes if you look at the fruit over the next six months, that perspective is the thing that set the seed that changed the results that happened six months later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. well, I was just thinking as you're talking about SEO, right? SEO is so important, yet people don't do it because there's nothing there tomorrow, you know? And it's like, they, you can, they, you could literally explain it to some people. This is how it works. And they go, wow, that's very interesting. Uh, let me run a Google ad, you know? <laughs> it's like, all right, cool. But it, I guess it's, it's, it's like you say, you know? Uh, the grass is greener where you water it. So you want to water over there? Go ahead. I'll be right here waiting for you. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating. Most great success stories, uh, it's like that Steve Jobs quote, right? Most most great like overnight success stories are a 10-year story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, but the cool thing is in life, time takes care of itself. So if we are doing the thing that we know we need to do every day, it won't take long before we are exactly where we were hoping to be. Because mm-hmm. yeah. we just keep moving forward. We just keep taking those those right action steps. You just have to trust in your plan and trust in yourself that you're going to do your part. And everything else is going to do its part. Right? Your team, your marketing, the internet. You, everything, you just have to trust in that. There's a, I'll, I'll try to give you like super short version, okay? You know who Chuck Yeager is? No. He's the guy that broke the sound barrier, okay? So let me give you, this is one of my favorite stories ever. I'll give you the short version. So Chuck Yeager, he's a pilot. 
he's like, I'm going to break the sound barrier. And people are like, what the hell does that mean? Like, what do you mean? So he explains, he builds a team, gets all these scientists, whatever, gets the plane that's going to do it. They go out into the desert, you know, uh, he takes off, he's flying. He's like, okay, all right, team. Like they're all monitoring him from the ground, right? Computers and checking, you know, he's con- he's communicating with them, whatever's happening on his gauges, on his dashboard. He's like, okay, we're ready. Here we go. And he starts to speed up. And he's like at 900 miles an hour or whatever the sound barrier is, right? Um, and as he starts to get faster and faster, the gauges on the plane start to basically warn him, like, you're going too fast. And he keeps contacting his team. This is what's happening. This is how I feel. The plane's shaking. The gauges are like maxed out. And the scientists are like, nope, you're good. Everything we see on our end, you're fine. You're safe. Keep going keep going more accelerate more he's like okay so he accelerates more the plane's going crazy and then all of a sudden nothing the scientists are like should we go home or like now what right and all of a sudden boom and they're like he comes back on the radio he's like a thousand one one thousand two one thousand three and the scientists are like holy crap, you know, they celebrate and it's, imagine if he listened to the gauges on the plane because the plane is going crazy because it's going so fast. It's it's pushing through the resistance of time and space that the gauges don't even know what's happening. The plane don't even know what's happening. But the scientists, the people monitoring the weather, the airplane, they know, I, I don't know what kind of scientists would know this, but they know about the space and, you know, that they're like, nope, you're good. Nothing should happen if you keep going. So keep going. And he did and broke through. And that's that, so powerful. Right. <laughs> that's such a, and that's a true story. It's, it's Chuck Yeager. It's, uh, you know, people can look that up and it's one of my favorite stories. Um, and I just think about that all the time with people that, that are scared and they're like i don't know what's happening and this i'm like nope you're good keep going keep going and eventually they get that sonic boom and they're like wow we're we're there i had the breakthrough and i go yep now just keep going okay that's that's crazy so this um how often do we throttle our performance in and prevent ourselves from achieving what we are truly capable of because the dials, those internal dials are, uh, are, are going off the chart. And if we had somebody around us like Gabriel, who could then say, you're okay, you're actually making great progress. The numbers are working. Everything's good. You're, uh, you have the ability to invest more in what you're doing. Like this is, imagine what the growth outcome of that can be. Just fast forward because everything is compound. Uh, if you, you know, if you know anything about compound, it's, it's truly remarkable. So this brings me, like, I made me ever think of another story. Do you know who Dave Brailsford is? Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I wouldn't, he's, he's the, uh, the head coach of um, cycling uh, UK. And why this is important is that not that long ago, 
no British cyclist had ever won the Tour de France. And uh, and so he set this wildly crazy, hugely ambitious goal. And he said, I'm going to I'm going to, you know, train the first cyclist, <clears throat> British cyclist to win the Tour de France. That's his goal. And what he realized or what he did. <clears throat> sorry, I'm losing my voice here. Um, what he what he did is he actually started to work on their belief. And he's the first coach ever, professional cycling team coach ever, to bring in a full-time um, psychiatrist <clears throat> to help their, their um, athletes because he realized that the number one reason, he called it like he has this, this beautiful diagram, it's this triangle. And the reason I know about this is because I actually found a video that was recorded when he was like coaching his team. And I don't even know if anybody knows about this video, but it, I found it on the internet. And um, and he's painting this triangle and he calls it the triangle of change. And he says, he looks at the one side and he says, okay, you know, you got your training plan. Are you doing everything that you're supposed to be doing to, are you putting in the work? You know, that's like, that's side one. Um, side two is, uh, you, you know, it, it's something like that. I can't remember quite off the top of my head, but the third the third side was the most important. And it was, do you believe that you can achieve the goal that you set out to? Because that was the thing, because nobody's going to put 100% of their potential in, like you talk about that pilot, if they don't believe that they can. And mm-hmm. so that's where he would work with his athletes on. Since coaching, uh, they won their first, uh, their first Tour de France in 2012. They then went to dominate the Olympics, like won most of the medals. And they've since won, I think, like seven or eight of the like Tour de France since then. Yeah. It's the most mind-boggling record of any cycling team ever. Wow. And yeah, wow, wow. Because he started to focus on belief. The, uh, you know, it, it's interesting back to you know, overcoming our own challenges. So um, I'll tell you a personal story about that. So I am a cyclist, so I follow cycling, so I'm interested in it. And I was working on my own um, uh, my own personal goals. This was about five years ago, and I was training, and I was doing these, um, essentially these, these training efforts, and training efforts are based around your FTP, so your functional threshold power. And I knew my, my FTP was like pretty high. Well, I mean, reasonably high for an amateur cyclist. I was pushing around, um, you know, 300 something watts. And so I, I decided I'm going to do this, this training program. I need to test my FTP. So I get on the bicycle and I do uh, 330 watts for 30 minutes. And if, if you know what, like what that means, it's essentially um, you're, you're, you're setting your, uh, your pace is around that four minute mile. Like if you're a runner, like it's, it's fast. It's, it's, you you know, so I'm, I'm putting in, I'm putting in a hard effort and I get up the bike and, um, and I remember feeling like a little bit of pain in my chest and not thinking anything of it. Two days later, I sit up out of my chair and I just get dizzy and I fall back down and I sit down and I, and my, my chest is still hurting. And I'm like, that was weird. And I'm feeling a little out of breath going up the stairs. And so I end up going, to a walk-in clinic just to have a look. Maybe I should just get my, you know, just get assessed. So I go get assessed and he says, you need to go to the emergency hospital and somebody needs to drive you (laughs) and you need to go there this second. And so I go to the emergency, they do a test on me and um, all of a sudden I'm lying at, like literally lying in the 
cardiac surgery ward. I got people beside me who need to be there. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this is not, this can't be happening. I, I shouldn't be here right now. Um, I have a one-year-old daughter. I have, um, I'm young, I'm healthy. Like this is, this doesn't make sense. Why am I here? And they did like an echocardiogram scan and they found a weird thing. And it's just like all symptoms are pointing towards heart attack. Uh, a month goes by and I don't have a family physician at this time. So I don't have anybody giving me any of this information back to me in a way. So the hospital's trying to do it. And a month goes by and I, and I make it like, I don't know if this will make sense to people, but I'm, I had a, like a realization, which is, you know, I'm doing these ultrasounds and all these things, but I can either, uh, I can either worry about this and I can kind of like move towards it or I can believe that I'm healthy and strong. My heart's healthy and strong because they, the doctors don't seem to have a solution for me. And so I don't want to live in anxiety. And so I'm going to choose the latter and I'm going to walk in that direction and train in that direction. And I have been ever since. And now I'm back and I'm competing and I'm cycling uh, again. But the there's a point where I had to make a decision. Here I am in the airplane. The dials are going crazy. And I'm thinking, but I've been in a plane crash before. You know, I'm on the cycling races and I'm putting myself to the limit. But I can tell that I've got a, uh, a limiter set. You know, I'm not putting 100% of my potential in. I'm I'm going, I'm playing it safe. I'm like at 90%. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'm just not hitting the numbers I used to be able to. And then I, I realized it's like, I'm not going to ever hit those numbers unless I take that limiter off. And so, you know, about a month ago, I just made that decision. I said, okay, I'm, I'm removing that limiter. And guess what's happening? I'm seeing some of the biggest gains of, of cycling and like performance improvement I've seen yeah. since five years ago. Wow. And yeah, it is, it's been very fun and very exciting, and I feel healthier than ever. And the, uh, but it, but it, it, it's hard sometimes to do that when you've experienced something that feels life threatening. You know? Oh yeah, and business can feel life threatening sometimes. Yeah, and business is not life threatening. <laughs> no, and it feels like. I mean, some people literally come to coaching sessions like the world is under attack by aliens and we're doomed and then after a conversation they're like oh cool (laughs) everything's fine now all of a sudden you know now they're i i'm not kidding like i have these conversations all the time just like that it's where people's dials are going crazy they're stressing by the end of the call they're like oh cool okay let me go back to work they're just let me keep pushing let me keep going so yeah Wow, that's that's awesome, man. Good for you. I that's exciting to to know when you're breaking your own barriers and you you are causing new amazing results for yourself. Like that's that's the feeling everybody wants right there. Yeah, and uh it, it, I love progress. There's a fun progress in life, I think is this this cool thing. I don't know, like I I ski a lot and it's just fun when you go out and you go to the mountains and you and you feel like, oh, I can see the the, the improvement. And mm-hmm. business is one of the most quantifiable things we can do. And so it's really easy to measure progress. But we have to measure it on the right things. And we can't measure it always on, um, on the outcomes that we sometimes measure it on. Because there will be times in our life 
where we won't see quantifiable outcomes uh, progressing. And so we have to measure our progress and other stuff. What am I doing to improve my activities? What am I doing to improve my mindset? What am I doing to improve my my business's systems? What am I doing to improve uh, my business brand? What am I doing to improve my relationship with my existing clients or my past clients? My And then you can start to measure it. And you measure it on the really healthy things like that. The other outcomes start taking care of themselves. And you look at it and you're like, oh, my goodness, that stuff's all growing again. Exactly. I think it, that comes down to a conversation of skills versus, um, what's the word? It basically, it's like, I saw somebody on the internet, I think it was Facebook, somebody asked, what are the most important skills in real estate? And there was very interesting people's answers because many, most of them were nothing you can measure. It was like motivation. You know, it was like, uh, rapport building it was like just all these answers that are like those are not skills you guys are all very confused you know skills are like measurable um it, like presenting you know that's a skill like uh um i don't know just skills selling right sales sell selling uh, skills versus everything else and i think people are very confused about about that yeah, that's that's really profound. So what would you say the most important skills are that you've observed in your years of coaching? I think, I guess, if I had to say one, um, I guess, you know, probably knowing personality style since we've been talking about it so much, I feel like. And not just like, oh, I know the disc assessment inside and out. It's like, no, like you, your people skills, your your ability to identify people and do something with it, uh, like put them in a certain category, maybe when you're talking to them. Um, probably, I guess I would say execution, um, taking an idea and making it happen, not just thinking about it accountability it's not really a skill set but it's you can measure it you can measure your accountability by your actions i would say time management time management is a big issue that people just overlook um so there's a lot of stuff i guess i think i guess the answer is hard because it really depends on on the person what's the most important skill this person needs to have versus this person because you could be a great salesperson, but if you're one, you know, people think like, oh, I don't want to be a salesperson, then you're not going to do it. Or, you know, if you don't believe in what you're selling, um, then you're not going to do it. You could be a great salesperson selling cars and then you move over to real estate and you're terrible because it's not the same for you individually. Right. So, it's a very hard question. I think that's why there's so much confusion around it too. It's like So this is why actually the sales one I touch on for a second. This is why I think real estate is such an amazing career for people who are naturally promotion like promoters mm-hmm. who are natural salespeople because great sales is simply helping somebody else 
clarify uh, what it is that they're looking for and work towards getting it so that you're helping paint them a picture. You're just helping them make the choice that they, they, um, they were wanting to make, Yeah. but you're helping them get there. And what's beautiful about real estate is you get access to the entire inventory of the entire marketplace. And so you don't get to sell a car that's on a lot. You get to nothing against like car salespeople at, at all. I, I, I don't, you know, mean in that way. I mean, um, but you get access to the entire inventory so you can help a person figure out, okay, what is it you're looking for? And here's a place that I think might be exactly what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And you can help get them into that door, which is for many people where they're going to have so many dreams and experiences and, and family moments and memories. And they're going to have, you know, we just had Thanksgiving. Uh, these, these are, uh, this is a space that's very important for a lot of people. And you get to help them. And so I, I think the misunderstanding is that I think people don't like somebody trying to convince them to do something they don't want to do. That's what they don't like. Um, and, and I would agree with that. It, it's not about, it's, it's about uncovering what a person's trying to do and then finding what it is that they're looking for in the marketplace and getting it to them. Yeah, I just had a group meeting last week with, few agents it was like 10 agents and i was going around asking questions and one lady said well i just hate cold calling i hate making my calls even people she knows she just hates calling and i said why she's like because i just i i don't like asking them for business i go so stop doing it just call people and say hi why don't you ask them how they're doing instead you know and she just she was like she was confused that a business coach is telling her to stop selling, you know? And it's like, why do you keep asking people if they want to buy a house? If they don't, you know, just, so we had, you know, we got deep into that conversation, but basically she left that table excited to call people because she does like talking to people. She likes to keep in touch with friends, family, past clients but that pressure of asking for business was killing it for her. I told her, don't ask anybody ever. Let it come up naturally. Because oh, that's so profound and so simple. But yeah. it, you're right. You know, yeah. it changes everything. All of a sudden, you're out there and you're building relationships and community and connection. And that's, at the end of the day, what so many people are craving right now. And, and then who wouldn't that's... refer your business if they're if you're the person they're in relationship with, exactly. And that's kind of yeah. along the lines of you know we started this the this session talking. We dove in about personality styles and mental health and you know like knowing people. And I tell often I tell my clients you need to just take a step back and just be human. You know, like just care about people and. Um, pursue your own interest your own genuine interest like don't worry about doing that thing because you think there's a lot of people to network with you know um, people invite me all the time to business networking functions functions and I'm, I'm like nah, I'm not I'm good thank you I'd rather go to the car show you know I I just I'm a firm believer like it, if you want to network like for business you should just Go do whatever you enjoy doing. You like bowling? Go bowl every day. 
and I promise you, you're going to meet clients. If you like fishing, go fishing. You're going to bump into people, you know, or whatever. It's, it's just a matter of taking a step back and just remember that you're in a people business. And if people don't like you, you're not going to have any business. Yeah. Case in point, I've met some really cool people cycling because there's always yeah, community events exactly. and every, every community you go to, if you're traveling, there's, there's cycling places that you can, you can basically call up the local shops and say, Hey, where's a group ride? And then you just join it. And, and I actually ended up meeting like some really cool people in, in similar businesses uh, as a result of uh, a cycling, uh, even, even speak, being invited to speak at conferences as a result. So you just never know. And I feel like regardless of what your business is, if you just surround yourself with, with, um, with people that, that you get along with, right? Going back to that saying, your vibe is your tribe. Don't worry about anything else. Just go and, and do you and be happy and focus on feeling good. Well, what about sales skills and all that other stuff you talk about? Well, that that is important when you have the the traffic and the clients and it's coming in faster than you can handle it. Okay, now you need to learn how to manage your time, be efficient, how to present well so that you can get the business on the first try. You know, All that stuff is still important. But if you're out there forcing business, it's going to make all that other stuff even harder. Yeah, it it makes so much sense. So start first by, if, if this could sum it up, start first by learning yourself, getting clarity about how you think and how you operate, mm-hmm. your own strengths. Then you can figure out, okay, what are the skills that I need to work on? And one of those skills is actually starting to understand those same models so you can apply them uh, when you're in the workplace and you can start to better understand people. And from there, you can start to build your business to the point where you are so busy that you need to work on. You're just, you're, I have a mentor, had a mentor, super nice guy, uh, Lance Schaefer, and he, he always talked about leveling up problems. He's like, problems don't go away. They just get better. So because as you're building your business, um, if at the beginning everything feels like uh, everything feels like a, a new problem, but at some point those things don't feel like problems anymore because they're, you know, they're they're systemized, they're organized. You've got a great admin person. You you go to the next level. Suddenly you're in the next level and you're encountering new challenges, and uh, that's a really good place to be. Like whenever you have a problem, like uh, you know, one of the problems we'll hear a lot is I have too many leads. <laughs> Yeah. That's a really good place to be. That's a really good problem. Would you would you prefer the opposite? You know, and uh, and so then it's like, okay, what do I got to do? I got to level up my systems. I got to level up my 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 uh, my actions. But too many people will try to jump into that problem before they've mastered the other ones. And so you, you this is also why I think you know working with yourself is so brilliant because uh, you can sort of distill it. And help a person understand this week, I'm going to focus on this thing because that's actually what's going to move the needle the most. Yeah. That's, you know, I, I mentioned that I have like 20, 21 topics that I cover, but they're, they're not in any order. You know, it's not when I share that with people, I feel like they think it's going to be in that order or it's like, just know that anytime we talk, we're talking about one of these topics and it's, it, We'll go into one and come out of one. We'll go into the other one and come out of it. 
because it's 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 all about where you are. Like where are you specifically? So you know, it's that's and that's coaching. That's I have a I'm always trying to um I I always try to just kind of like help people understand what coaching is and what coaching isn't. You know, because coaching is is um it's not cookie cutter, it's not okay, go do this, you know, one through 10. It's, that's more like training. You know, coaching is super deep mindset, shifting, making hard, hard changes. Uh, And I always say, you know, it's change isn't hard. It's human behavior that's hard to change. You can make the change right now, but the human behavior, your reaction to it, your um, resistance your ability to keep it going when it feels wrong because you've never done it. That's coaching. It's like the Chuck Yeager, you know, that whole thing. Yes. I, it, it hundred percent, a hundred percent. So I just want to say thank you so much. I really appreciate this. I could keep, I like literally you've sparked another five things I want to ask you about, but I know you're a busy man and uh, we can go on this forever. And so uh, I think, I know I'm going to have you on again. <laughs> like, I hope so. Actually, yeah. I would love uh, to. I think we have very enlightening conversations, and I'm I'm very happy to do it with you. You yeah. know, so definitely, please, let's do it again. Yeah, I really enjoy these. I I love connecting with you, man. So I, yeah, again, super appreciate it. And uh, yeah, this was good. This was really good. Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much for for doing it. Let's go.